Welcome one again to this week in the history of college football. You're listening to KNNA 95.7 The Cross in Lincoln, Nebraska. My name is Clint Poppy, the host for our program, average or below average football fan. But to make up for that, we have noted historian Jay Abramson. We have Jay with us, and we are going to count down the names, dates, places, significant events, a trip down memory lane for the days September 22 through 28 this week in the history of college football. Jay, welcome back to our program. How are you to do? How are you today? I'm doing very well. I want to thank you for allowing me a presence on your wonderful radio broadcast. Well, you you are our radio broadcast, and uh, we are thankful for you being gracious with your time, taking us down memory lane. There is so much history of college football and so little time to recount it. There are very, very few places where you can go and check out a this day or this week in college football and to be able to tap into your expertise we are happy we are thankful and uh, enough of that talking about us let's get right to the program september 22 through 28 we are now getting into the time of the year late september when we have many more decades of football to have access to this should uh, take us back at least to the 30s and 40s Jay, what's the first magic memory that you have for us? Well, Clint, September 27th, and it actually harkens back to on the state in 1919. Tulsa 152, Oklahoma Baptist 0, the turnaround. On the last game of the 1918 season, Tulsa was shut out by Oklahoma State 33 to nothing in a short three-game season that, that year. Tulsa scored a total of nine points all season. So in 1919, they hire a new coach, Francis Schmidt. In his first game as coach, Tulsa scores 152 points in one of the most remarkable turnarounds in college football history. They went on that season to score over 60.7 of their nine games, and they finished 8-0-1. Now, now, Tulsa has an unusual distinction. As in 1968, they were defeated by Houston 100-6, as this program is a program that has scored over 150 points in a game and given up over 100 points in a game. That is amazing. And those point totals, they they boggle our mind, especially when you think that uh, in the early days of college football, the scoring was a little bit different. The forward pass was non-existent, and uh, these numbers are video game numbers. We think of uh, video game numbers in uh, the uh, 70s, the 80s, the 90s. We don't think about it in the 19-teens. And uh, that was uh, 1919. That's a pandemic year, too. So there were a lot of wild and crazy things going on. September 27, 1919, what a great way to start off our program. This week in the history of college football, we're looking at September 22 through September 28. Jay, spin a little more magic for us, will you? Well, this one is short and sweet, and at least in my own view, the second most important game that we'll talk about today, or most important moment, excuse me. But it was September 26, on this date, 1953. Notre Dame defeats Oklahoma 28-21, to the loss before the streak. Frank Leahy versus Bud Wilkinson. 
Oklahoma tied the next game and then raced off to an NCAA record 47-game winning streak that spanned five years from 1953 to 1957. This was the loss prior to it. You know, we uh, we oftentimes think about the games that ended a significant streak, but rarely do we think about or even care about the game before the streak started. And so 1953, September 26, September 26 is my wife's birthday, by the way, uh, 1953, Notre Dame over Oklahoma, and then Oklahoma reeled off 47 straight games. Wow. Amazing. Yes, sir. sir. Jay, take us again down memory lane. Well, to me, that was the second most important game. The two most important moments, this is one of them. September 25th, on this date, 1971. Marshall 15, Xavier 13, in Memorial. On November 14th, 1970, the season prior, Marshall loses to East Carolina 17-14 and flying back after the defeat, the plane with 75 people, including the football team, coaches, staff, members of the community and flight crew, crashed as it approached Pry Harbor Airport in Huntington. There were no survivors. It was later determined that the plane encountered rain and fog, and that combined with instrument failure was the cause of the crash. The community was, was overwhelmed with grief. It was heartbreaking, the rebuilding of the football program, and it became really a symbol of Marshall moving forward. New coach... Jake Lingle was hired to resume football at Marshall, and this day, September 25, 1971, playing at home, Marshall defeated Xavier in the program's first win after the heartbreaking tragedy. You know, I think there are uh, many people, current current people, uh, young people that are well of the well aware of the Marshall story because of the uh, movie and. Uh, uh, very, very popular, and it is it is indeed a uh, tragedy. You know, we have the uh, Marshall plane that goes down. We have the Kansas, uh, Wichita State uh, plane that goes down. We have some uh, amazing tragedies, and the Marshall program to be able to rebuild after that. Wichita State does not have football, and uh, they were not able to come back. But for Marshall to do that, it is an amazing story of perseverance, of courage, of hard work, and many of the things that make college football so endearing to so many people in our great land. This is Clint Poppy, host of the program This Week in the History of College Football. We're talking to noted college football historian Jay Abramson. You can check him out on Twitter. You can check him out on Twitter. the World Wide Web, uh, historyofcollegefootball.com. Uh, Jay has a book that is coming out. Google him on uh, for Amazon or any of those places. You'll be able to check him out. And uh, he is able to uh, take us down memory lane, spin some football history magic for us. And this program, we are looking at September 22 to September 28. Jay? Spin us another one, please. Yeah, I will say your, your, your eloquent synopsis was, was just beautiful to hear. And on a much, much, much lighter note, my book will come out oh, probably around the second or third week of September. So the next one is September 24th, on this date in 1994. 
Colorado 27, Michigan 26. The miracle at the big house. In the big house, in front of over 106,000 fans, number four Michigan enters the game 2-0, and number seven Colorado 2-0. Now Michigan led 26-21 with six seconds remaining. Colorado has the ball on their own 36-yard line, 64 yards away from the end zone if you're counting. Colorado quarterback Cordell Stewart drops back and throws the ball 73 yards into the wind, mind you. Michael Westbrook caught the ball, Hail Mary, in the end zone, stunning the Ann Arbor fans on the final play of the game. It was a play that Coach Bill McCartney referred to as rocket left. And players to this day, I've seen in, uh, accounts where they say Cordell Stewart threw 85 yards on its knees. Cordell Stewart, who... Uh made an amazing football memory that is played on highlight reels even to this day and uh, brings nightmares and shudders to uh, to every Michigan fan. There aren't many moments like that in the history of Colorado football and uh, for them to be able to have that moment and uh, that victory, any victory by an opposing team in the big house is a big victory. But uh, this one is um, one of the most memorable. No doubt about it. That was September 24, 1994. Jay, we have lots and lots of history ground to cover. Uh, spin us another memory, would you please? We mentioned mentioning shuddering and nightmares. I guess that fits the next one. September 24th, a shout-out with absolute respect to Happy Birthday, Mean Joe Green. Mean Joe Green is considered by many to be the greatest defensive tackle in history. From 1966 to 1968, Mean Joe Green anchored a defense that allowed opposing teams two yards per rush. In Green's three seasons, North Texas had a 23-5-1 record. Now they're called the Mean Green. North Texas, once he left there in 1968, he left as a consensus All-American, three-time All-Missouri Valley Conference player. Mean Joe Green was Chuck Knoll's first ever draft pick. Had that work out? Four Super Bowls, six years. Mean Joe Green is in the College and Pro Football Hall of Fame. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Mean Joe Green, September 24. I think of Mean Joe Green every time we visit family in the Dallas area and we drive by the uh, North Texas Stadium in Denton, Texas. Uh, many, many people do not realize that uh, some of the all-time great NFL, all-time great college players came from seemingly small less noted, uh, in some people's minds, even insignificant kind of places. North Texas, Mean Joe Green, salute and happy birthday, September 24. I think we've got time for one more, Jay, before we have to take our break. Uh, take us down memory lane, would you please? Recent, good sir, recent. September 22nd on the state, 2018. Old Dominion, forty. Nine, Virginia Tech 35. This one is up there with the greatest upsets in college football history. Old Dominion enters the game 0 3, fifth season ever as an FBS program, and they were a 28.5 underdog to number 13, Virginia Tech, who enters the game 2 0, had defeated number 19, Florida State, the week before, and William and Mary in blowout wins 24 3 and 62 17. Well, they're playing Old Dominion, who they defeated the previous season 38 0. Playing at home, Old Dominion, on their second series, inserts a quarterback, Blake LaRusso, off the bench. 
the game was pretty tightly contested, high 14 going to halftime. In the third quarter, Virginia Tech pulls ahead 28-21 to and kept it going into the fourth quarter. But in the fourth quarter, in a real shocking turn of events, the Monarchs, like the old Dominion Monarchs, they storm back, scoring four fourth-quarter touchdowns to pull the ginormous upset, 49-35. to At the game's end, fans stormed the field, and that quarterback, Blake LaRussa, well, he would go on to throw for nearly 500 yards, 449, 449 yards that game. Jay, that has to be the all-time great victory in the history of Old Dominion football. Would you, would you agree with that, or is there, is there something else about Old Dominion football that I'm not aware of? I would have to be up there with the five greatest upsets if it was. I completely agree with you. Yes, and uh, when you think of football power, you may think of Virginia Tech, but you're certainly not going to think of Old Dominion. What a great memory, and these are the kind of memories that Jay Abramson, history of college football, and that we're bringing in what we hope to be 30 minutes of fast-paced fun and excitement on this program this week in the history of college football. We're looking at September 22 through September 28. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to This Week in the History of College Football. I'm your host, Clint Poppy. Along with me is noted college football historian, historian extraordinaire, Jay Abramson. Uh, he is the uh, host of the uh, very, very popular History of collegefootball.com website. He's got a great, great podcast selection there. Um, many other features on his website with pictures, this date in college football history, and that's really where we got the idea for this particular program. We're taking a look at a particular week, and we're looking at significant events, names, dates, even a birthday or two. And in this program, we're looking at September 22 to September 28. Welcome back, Jay. And we need you to spin us another memory, a trip down college football memory lane. Well, again, thank you for allowing me to appear on your wonderful radio show. You are most welcome. Oh. September 22nd, on this date, 1962. Bill Yeoman of the Houston Cougars coached his first game. Bill Yeoman was an innovator, invented the view option offense, which influenced college football moving forward in the 60s and then from there on out. In 1976, Coach Yeoman's Cougars, in its first year in the conference, Southwest Conference, tied for the Southwest Conference Championship. In all, his teams won four Southwest Conference Championships, and he was inducted into the College Hall of Fame. And what led him to design the beer offense was really what happened prior to one particular game. In Coach Yeoman's second and third seasons, the Cougars went 4-14-1. They were held to a touchdown or less seven times and were shut out three times. And then 1965, the Cougars lose the first two games. So they've been shut out, if you're keeping track, five shutouts in 20 games. So he employs a new scheme where the linemen read 
then they had the option to leave the uh, tackler open or block them. And the halfback dove, and there were pitches, and this perplexing beer option was the birth of the triple option. His 1968 team was the last Division One A team to score 100 points in a game. Happy birthday. No, not happy birthday. I'm so sorry. On this date, Bill Yeoman coaches his first game. Isn't it amazing that a great coach is able to adjust and adapt, whether it's in an individual game making uh, halftime adjustments or when the other team throws something at you that maybe surprises you a little bit, you're able to adjust, or even adjusting with a complete different scheme, whether it be offensive or defensive scheme, to be able to compete at a different level. That's what separates, in my humble opinion, Jay, that's what separates the the good coaches, the average coaches from the great coaches, from the cream of the crop kind of coaches. And I think that's what we're talking about here with the Houston Cougars. What do you think? Uh, Well said. Completely agree. You can't measure innovativeness with just a tally here. If you're either born with it or you're not, absolutely agree. Well, Jay, I'm going to steal a little of your time, and I want to I spin one memory for us and uh, see if you remember this. Uh, we were talking about great coaches and great coaching on September 25, 1982. Two of college football's greatest coaches squared off. Tom Osborne from Nebraska took his uh, number two-ranked Nebraska Cornhusker team to Happy Valley, Joe Paterno's Penn State. The Nittany Lions were um, winning the game handily early. They took a two-touchdown lead before the mighty Huskers stormed back and eventually took a three-point lead late in the game. Nebraska intercepted a pass from Todd Blackledge. How you doing on that name in the end zone? They drove 80 yards, and that was the go-ahead touchdown, and everybody thought that that was going to be the end of the game. There's very little time left on the next drive, which ended up being the final drive of the game. The Nittany Lions converted a 4th and 11 to stay alive. Blackledge then threw a 15-yard pass to Mike McCloskey on second and four. This will be the point of controversy that day and even to this day. Replay showed that the catch was clearly made out of bounds, but the linesman ruled the receiver was inbounds. There was no instant replay back in those days, no way to reverse a call. The Nittany Lions went on to score and win the game. The Huskers ran the table and finished number three after beating LSU in the Orange Bowl and would be the nucleus of the dominant 83 team the next year. Amazingly, Penn State went on and they lost to Alabama by 21 points just a few weeks later. But they won out, including a 27-23 victory over number one Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, and they won the national championship. Jay, I got to tell you, that controversial call still is stuck in the craw of every Husker football fan. Even those that weren't alive back then, they've seen the videos. It hurts, and it will always hurt. That's what happens when two great coaches sometimes take the field. It's a game of inches, and it's how one play can many times severely alter or change the outcome of a game. 
it's funny, in week four, one official's call really determined the national championship that year. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I remember the, the controversy more than the game itself. You, you, you put the spin on it absolutely perfect. I, I appreciate you giving the details. Yes, I can uh, I can remember it like it was yesterday, yesterday, and it is a bad, bad memory. Okay, Jay, enough of my memory. Spin us, uh, spin us down memory lane, would you please? September 22nd. 1990 on this date, a running back's touchdown barrage for the ages. The line running back Howard Griffith sets an NCAA record as he rushes for eight touchdowns in the 56-21 defeat of Southern Illinois. Griffith's day, 208 yards, 21 carries, touchdowns ones of 551, 741, 518, 5 and 3. That's a lot of numbers. That's a lot of touchdowns. Wow. He also caught three passes for 48 yards to top it off. You know, it's amazing individual performances like that that uh, oftentimes get lost in the maze of statistics and names and dates and places in college football. That's one of the reasons why Jay and I wanted to bring this uh, idea that we had to life. This week in the history of college football, taking a look at, yes, some of the more famous people, plays, events, but also giving an opportunity to give a shout out to people that may or may not have uh, had the spotlight more than for 15 seconds of fame. And we are spinning college football memories. We're taking a trip down college football memory lane and there is so much history and literally so little time to cover it we're looking at september 22 through september 28 jay abramson noted college football historian is taking us down memory lane spin us another memory would you jay so clint this one goes back to yesteryear september 26th on this date in 2000 2000 i'm so sorry on this date in 1914 1914, all right. Yes, sir. Auburn, 39, Marion, 0. The 85 Bears would be impressed. It was the opening game of the season for Auburn, who the season before had gone 8-0. Coach Mike Donahue unveiled a 7-2-2 defense, and his thought process was he'd have huge interior linemen with really large defensive ends who were told to get into the opponent's backfield and disrupt the play. The result, his team went 8-0-1, and did not allow a point all season. The lone loss was to Georgia in Week 8, and on the game's last play, the running back was brought down short of the goal line, and that's the Auburn's running back. They near about won that game. Amazing. Amazing, Jay. And, uh, you know, I've seen some of these... annals some of these statistics about teams that were undefeated untied and unscored upon and uh isn't it isn't it amazing here that even this great auburn team from 1914 couldn't make that list uh because of uh with all the great things they did in the new defensive scheme they couldn't make that list because of that one tie Oh, man. Um, And I think, you know, uh, Auburn's won a national championship uh, in recent memory, but I think Auburn is one of those programs, too, that many, many people forget about the history of Auburn football that goes back well over a century. So thank you so much for that trip down memory lane and that uh, magic, magic memory. Jay, we've got a couple of minutes left, so I want you to prioritize what you have. Uh, Give us another shot, would you please? 
Well, this one is one you don't hear very often. September 27th, on this date, 1952. Louisiana Tech, 32, Florida State, 13. This was the opening day of the 1952 season. It wasn't really the game itself, but the story behind the game. FSU was coached by Don Beller. And you have to go back five years to really get the gist of why this game is so important. In 1947, Florida State played its first football game ever, and they were winless. They went 0-5, so enter Coach Bella. In his second season under the new coach, the first season as a Seminole head coach, his version of the Seminoles was 7-1. In the first four seasons, in a five-season run as head coach, the first four seasons, his Seminoles go 30-4. and four. Now, I don't mean to slow this down, but that's an 88.2 winning percentage at that moment that he had one season left. Recall, Newt Rockney's winning percentage was 88.1, 88.2, 88.1. We're talking pretty good here. Now, fast forward to this game. The opening day of the 1952 season, his last season, Florida State loses, and then inexplicably in his last season as head coach, that 52 season, after this opening day loss, the Seminoles went 1-8-1, eight, 1-8-1. Uh, one, eight and one, one, eight and one a far departure from the 88.2 winning percentage he was on prior to this game. You lost to Louisiana Tech and the wheels fell off the car is what it sounds like to me. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, Florida Florida State, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're new to college football compared to many, many of the other storied programs, but uh, starting in the 1980s, they more than made up for it, and uh, we had a shout-out in our last program to uh, Bobby Bowden, and uh, really, really the one who has uh, uh, continued to have uh, Florida State on people's minds and, uh, you know, consistently in the top 25. Jay, we're uh, we're running short on time. We got time for one more magic memory. What do you got for us? Well, if you remember, I said that the two best. This is the second of the two best, and it's actually the first tweet I ever sent out on the state. September twenty third on the state, nineteen fifty seven, a seminal moment in our history. The Little Rock Nine, a group of African American students, enter Central High School in Little Rock, Arizona forever changing the landscape of the nation, and in turn, college football forever changed that day. It was the birth of integration. You know, Jay, I'm not sure how uh, how much history uh, you have studied with regard to the um, integration issues that happened at the University of Wyoming in the uh, mm. late 50s and early 1960s. I'm going to put a bug in your ear. I saw a documentary a few years ago that talked about that history. And everybody in Nebraska pays attention to Wyoming because the great Bob Devaney came from Wyoming. And back in those days, in the 1960s, Wyoming was a top 10 football program. People don't even realize that. And much of the issues were surrounding whether Wyoming would be an integrated team or not. And there was a walkout and a boycott of the black players. And uh, there's just some great, great history there. And I want to put a bug in your ear for your podcast or maybe even a special spot on your website because I think that's a story that is important and needs to be told. Uh, sadly, our time has come to an end. Uh, for Jay Abramson, I am Clint Poppy. We thank you for joining us with a trip down memory lane. 
This week in the history of college football, we've recounted September 22 through September 28. We'll be back again soon. Check us out on your favorite podcast provider this week in the history of college football. Thank you, Clint. Thank you, Jay. We'll talk soon. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.